Rare Disease and Medical Challenges podcast. The mission of our podcast is to support you, our listeners, and to create community as you confront the toughest challenges in life. All of us will experience health hardships. The real question is, how do we adapt? That's the focus of It Happened to Me. We help you overcome limitations and live a full and satisfying life. Drawing on their own health challenges, hosts Kathy Gillenhorn and Beth Glassman interview guests who share stories and research to help you succeed in the face of difficult health obstacles. It happened to me. I'm not alone, and neither are you. Welcome. Today, our guest is Dr. Colby Cash. Dr. Cash is the author of The Autoimmune Plague, How to Regain Sovereignty Over Your Body and Life. He's an author who has pivoted out of clinical practice and is dedicated to improving health through technologies and evolutionary biology. Dr. Cash is also a lecturer on wellness and a co-founder of biotechnology companies and an investment group. Dr. Cash has experienced his own set of medical challenges, crippling digestive issues that led to Crohn's disease, as well as psoriasis and inflammatory arthritis. Determined to find the root causes, he has developed a blueprint to combat the wide range of psychological, emotional, physical, and environmental stress factors that contribute to autoimmune disease. In the end, his blueprint gave him back his life. He hopes to share these approaches with others suffering with the debilitating causes of autoimmune disease. Dr. Cash has a doctor of chiropractic, a master's in applied clinical nutrition, and several certificates reflecting his passion within health, wellness, and longevity. Dr. Cash, thank you for being a guest today on It Happened to Me. First, let's start with the basics. What is autoimmune disease? Well, thank you very much, Kathy and Beth, uh, for having me and for that wonderful introduction as well. Autoimmune disease is when your immune system is no longer able to tell the difference between yourself and parts of your body that are not yourself or from healthy cells from non-healthy cells. And what manifests from this is your body will actually amount an attack against your healthy body cells, cause inflammation, and eventually organ destruction. This could be for singular organs. So in the case of Crohn's disease, just the, the digestive tract, or an MS, the nervous system, or you could have a systematic autoimmune disease like in the case of lupus. Oftentimes, you'll see secondary symptoms from autoimmune disease that can manifest as low mood, depression, anxiety, weird rashes, and, and, and itching, and the, the, the symptoms of, of this sort. Wow. Now, I know there are over 100 autoimmune diseases. What are the most common autoimmune conditions? So the, the most common is rheumatoid arthritis, which can affect up to 
1% of the entire population. This is when the immune system attacks the synovium of, of your joints. And rheumatoid arthritis patients uh, could expect within 10 years, 50% of them are no longer to work. Uh, so it becomes very uh, disabling. Uh, another common autoimmune disease is MS, multiple sclerosis. And what's interesting is the further away from the equator that you get, you see an increase of MS. Crohn's disease is also very prevalent, the, the highest in Ashkenazi Jews, affecting up to 600 out of every 100,000 Ashkenazi Jews. And then type 1 diabetes, lupus, and, and psoriasis get honorable mentions as also being very, very common uh, within our population. Dr. Cash, if I can interject for a moment, you mentioned rheumatoid arthritis. Now, the effects of uh, medication for rheumatoid arthritis have been extraordinarily successful. Humira is one of the most widely used drugs uh, within our country, and it's been um, quite helpful for those with uh, rheumatoid arthritis when coupled with methotrexate. And now with the advent of Embril, patients are able to lead um, very normal lives. So I just want to interject that, that um, uh, patients with rheumatoid arthritis, we don't want to say that they uh, can't function. They can't, and they function beautifully. That's right. So luckily, there's uh, many medications out there, not just for rheumatoid arthritis, but some other autoimmune disease where medication helps patients live a more normal life and a life without uh, many of their symptoms. And that's for a cohort of individuals with autoimmune disease. And other cohorts with autoimmune disease, unfortunately, don't respond as well to medication. It doesn't get the benefits that we, we'd hope. And for them, uh, oftentimes you get organ removal, uh, deterioration, and even death. So uh, there's, and, and there's more drugs in the pipeline that are being developed, but unfortunately we're not quite there where we have medications for everyone that's suffering. And uh, so you need ultimately a combination of both uh, a medicine and a holistic lifestyle, which I'm sure will get more into. Absolutely. Now, I have a question. One in seven Americans now have an autoimmune disease, and I'm wondering why there are so many cases. It's a great question, and we've seen autoimmune disease skyrocket over the last few generations. Crohn's disease and celiac disease more than quadrupled since the 1970s, and I believe it's as we move further and further away from an environment that we are evolutionarily designed to live in uh, by consuming uh, fake and processed foods, abusing uh, certain pharmaceuticals, antibiotics, consuming high levels of uh, environmental toxins, and disrupting our circadian rhythm. And the, the list of stressors goes on and on. And a lot of these modern stressors are able to turn on gene expression that are associated with disease. So our genetics may predispose us to certain autoimmune diseases, but I think that the evidence suggests that it's, in, it, it's the environment that pulls the trigger. And so the dominant theory for 
why we're seeing such high rates of autoimmune disease now is something called leaky gut syndrome, whereby the gap junctions in our gut that generally selectively allow for nutrients to slip through into the bloodstream now get damaged and a little bit wider and larger. So proteins and particles that wouldn't normally be able to slip through, slip through into the bloodstream and the body treats it as sort of a, a foreign body. And then you get a heightened immune response from it following a, a um, procedure called molecular mimicry. And if you're, once your body attacks that molecule, it could then go and attack other tissues in the body that might resemble that foreign molecule. Is, does this explain so, the, yeah. the deep dive into the microbiome? that is ongoing now countrywide, so many researchers going into this field. Yeah, I, th I think that's an excellent segue. Uh, our, we have more bacteria cells in the human body than we do human cells. And these bacteria that live within us, our acquaintances, produce a steady stream of neurochemicals and chemical signaling that attaches to every receptor on every cell in your body. So they have the the ability to turn on gene expression that could work for you or against you. And if you have an overgrowth of, of bad bacteria, it's really going to cause you to fight an uphill battle against your illness. Huh. Well, now, you also mentioned um, environmental stresses. What did you mean by that? So it could be categorized in a couple different ways, but uh, I think for one, it is uh, chemicals and heavy metals that we're exposed to at high rates. So for one, plastic products, when you consume, you know, uh, um, from a, wa a plastic water bottle or from foods that are packaged in, in plastic or maybe some that have gotten into our, our water, well, plastic acts as a, as a estrogen signaling molecule in the human body. So it could shift your, your hormone signaling. Um, perhaps you're using hygienic products that are chock full of, of different chemicals that we're putting on our body every single day. Uh, the, the, the list goes on. So that is what I mean by in, environmental toxins. Even with newer technology, with the, uh, the dirty electricity and radiation that come from our devices, well, we have to know, well, if I'm going to use these um, AirPods during our interview, I shouldn't be on it using them for hours out of the day. I should uh, co have controlled dosages of environmental toxins to make sure they don't contribute to too much stress on my body. Because a little bit of stress is a good thing. Chronic stress is when, you, uh, when your body is no longer able to keep up on a molecular level of toxic waste building up. And that causes a lot of damage. Huh. Well, Dr. Cash, I'd like to shift gears a little, and then we'll come back and talk about the pyramid um, and all the factors that are involved in that. And I would love if you would please share with us your personal experience living with digestive issues and other autoimmune conditions. What was your diagnostic odyssey, and did your symptoms change over time? So as far back as I can remember, I always had uh, a wonky digestive system, 
pain, gas, bloating. And as a child, I wasn't ever really given uh, much sound advice of what I could do. Went to a bunch of different specialists and eventually it continued to get worse until uh, at the time I was in chiropractic school where the, the pain and frequency increased and I ended up getting uh, bloody and mucousy stools and that's when I knew something was uh, very wrong and then you know ended up getting a colonoscopy which is ultimately the the gold standard diagnosis for for Crohn's or ulcerative colitis and at that point in time I was trying different things and then I started getting uh, psoriatic or psoriasis flares and that ultimately led to a, a psoriatic arthritis flare where I had about a half a dozen to a dozen joints in my body that were swollen oh. uh, like golf balls. It, oh it was a beautifully designed cruel prison by my yeah. immune system. And But this is the same time I started to learn more about the root cause of autoimmune disease. I was studying functional medicine and and so I was able to start doing something about it. Wow. Now, what did you learn from the patient perspective with all this? What advice do you have for patients on how to be their own best advocates? Well, you need to be the, the CEO of your own health. It's, it's your body. You have to live with it 24-7. And you can go to uh, several different doctors and get a different opinion from all of them. So I, I really believe in self-educate, you have to become a very knowledgeable on your condition. So you know the right questions to ask your doctor. Because like, Kathy, like you said, you have to be an advocate. You have to be willing to tell your doctor, could you make sure we run this test? Well, what do you think about this, this, and this? Because oftentimes it can become overlooked if you're not pushing for yourself. And you, you know, aside from the education piece, you also have to learn about what lifestyle modifications you're willing to, to make, uh, because that's very important, uh, for, at least from the autoimmune perspective, to help your immune system fall back into homeostasis. Boy, that must have been so painful. I'm thinking about various joints being swollen. And yet w the most important thing is, of course, to keep moving. So what sort of exercise did you do as you were suffering through this? Walking, swimming, what did you do? So that's an that's an excellent question. I have a chapter in the book on exercise, and I did that because, especially for individuals with some type of autoimmune arthritis, regular exercise could be a little bit too stressful on the joints. So if someone's experiencing a flare, um, movement is a great painkiller, but you want to stay within pain-free ranges yeah. of motion. Uh, so that's for one. So I think swimming is, is a great uh, exercise for decreasing some of the weight on the joints, but you're still able to move. Um, as far as uh, inflammatory arthritis, you know, is known to decrease bone density. So eventually when some of the acute uh, inflammation and pain is gone to do weight bearing exercises to, to build up the density of the bones in, in, in your joint. And like I mentioned before, acute Stress is good on the body. So going when you exercise, that's an acute stressor. And as a result of that, your body produces all these internal antioxidants that help clean up some of the cellular waste in the body. And for those that are very, very acute, with maybe the exception of multiple sclerosis, I think sauna, 
therapy is a great way to put a, a controlled dose of stress on the body and get those internal detoxification uh, pathways moving. And it's been shown to maintain muscle mass even in the absence of uh, a resistance training during those uh, acute inflammatory episodes. You, but it's a contraindicated with MS, so I'll, I'll put that. I, um, I have an autoimmune disease that actually affects my eye. So when you talk about um, doing your exercise in a way that is healthy and safe, um, I know that my eye doctor at one point said to me that I, I needed to keep exercising. That was important. But being on a treadmill would not be safe. So I said, well, then what am I to do? And he said, get an elliptical. Get on an elliptical. And so I did that until a period of time where my vision became uh, worse. And he said, gee, I don't think it's safe. And I once again, I said, what am I going to do? And he said, a stationary bike. So I think you're exactly right. Be your best advocate. Ask your doctors. You don't want to stop moving. That is critically important uh, for anyone, um, unless, as you said, with MS, I mean, where it becomes impossible. But even for someone with arthritis, movement is important. We can't stay uh, solitary. We can't stay still, that the body needs to move. Um, so important to be able to be flexible and have an open dialogue with your doctor to find out what is the best course. Um, you know, Dr. Cash, I, I just was wondering, why is it that all of a sudden, as you said, all of a sudden your joints flared up? What do you think triggers that, the sudden flare? So, you know, I, autoimmune disease is a multifactorial equation. It's not like you could introduce one thing and boom, you have the disease. Mo generally speaking, you're not born with autoimmune disease. You don't have it as a baby. It develops later in life uh, as a certain uh, gene expression is, is turned on. And in the words of Hippocrates, Hippocrates, illnesses don't come out of the blue they are generally developed from small daily sins against nature. And when enough of those sins have accumulated, uh, illnesses suddenly appear. And so I think, um, like we, I, I was listing out some of the stressors uh, before, is when you have enough chronic stress build up. And the, 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 the scientific term for this is allostatic load, which is the term that you have a predetermined threshold amount of stress that the body could handle before these genes we speak about. Um, start to express themselves. So it could be the altered microbiome, the, the pileup of uh, environmental toxins, your poor sleep habits, or even just psychological stress that we have today. Um, uh, and so sooner or later, uh, it will cause a, a flare-up. But I think, you know, as your best advocate, it's important that as a, a patient of autoimmune disease or uh, certainly some other diseases that you have a symptoms journal and you begin to, to find trends. When you do this, this and that, well, you noticed you were suffering a little bit more and you could sort of do an end of one experiment on yourself of what might be contributing. Because what the research shows is when individuals decrease the oxidative stress on the body, symptoms of autoimmune disease begin to dissipate. And that, that's very powerful. What is oxidative stress? What do you mean by that? So oxidative stress is stress on the micro level. So 
your the cells of your body will develop things like uh, called free radicals that steal electrons from our cells, and this accelerates cellular aging and creates unstable uh, molecules in the body that are kind of like bowls in a china shop. And so what antioxidants do is they act to donate electrons and create stability in, in the cells of, of the body. And so, again, uh, I'll re-echo it, is acute stress, um, although it increases oxidative stress in the short term, it also increases a lot of the antioxidant production. So net, you have less stress after the acute, but chronic stress, we have these chronic drags over many days and many weeks and months and years, that is when our oxidative stress on a molecular level begins to um, disrupt our body's ability to clean up the stress and we fall behind and become sick, ill, etc. So now, Dr. Cash, you were talking about that the autoimmune disease develops later in life, but we know that the children are, are not immune from autoimmune disease. Children, get very, very young children have autoimmune diseases. And um, so not only as you should be your own advocate, but certainly as a parent, you must be your child's advocate. And um, so as you say about keeping a journal, which is a really great idea, my uh, daughter uh, had a problem um, and at two, I noticed that uh, she was walking a bit funny and, uh, and she was waking up in the middle of the night crying. And I took her to the pediatrician. I thought that maybe she had an ear infection. This went on for six weeks. But at the same time as she was crying, I noticed her walking was a little funny, but darn, when we go to the appointment, of course, the doctor would ask her to walk and she would walk perfectly well. <laughs> and we all know how that is. But as a parent, just like as your own advocate, hang in there, stick in there. You know, you know best. And darn, if on the sixth week, my daughter's knee became hot and swollen. And I think that the pediatrician up to that point thought I was a nervous mother. But luckily, I did stick to my guns and kept taking her. And at the end of the day, she was diagnosed with what is called R JRA, or juvenile rheumatoid arthritis. Now, this was at two. Um, and then by three, was diagnosed with an, an, an autoimmune disease that affects the eye. So that once the diagnosis was made, then we were on the lookout for other autoimmune diseases. So I just want to point out that... Children um, are not spared the autoimmune plague, as you call it. Um, and as I said to my daughter, as she grew up, everybody will have something. You just know yours before all your friends. <laughs> and so this required really um, when they would have running races at school, uh, that was a source of concern in our household. If my daughter was to be in a school play and stand for a long period of time, it's in her knee and both ankles that would cause pain. Um, and so she um, had a special set of circumstances for a young age. But um, it does it does affect children. And I just wanted to um, point that out. 
So, um, Dr. Cash, let's talk about the cash code and how that works. Sure. So, uh, the the cash code uh, was what I developed through my research on autoimmune disease uh, to become a, a user manual for individuals to find out what you know, what some of the the triggers might be for their individual autoimmune disease. And now that you mention it, if you're a parent and you have a, a young child with autoimmune disease, for the parents to, that could also use in their their own children's uh, symptoms before they're old enough to to curate their environment. So on the most fundamental level, uh, diet is going to be the biggest driver of stress. We consume uh, a lot of foreign uh, uh, content through our digestive systems where our body has the majority of our immune system. So in my body, uh, one food might be, it might be a superfood for me, for you, it might actually be a cause of a trigger. So it's a very individualized thing. So the, the foundation is doing a, an elimination diet uh, where you could find out for you what what might be the cause or the trigger. Uh, and on top of that, I also put at the foundation is sleep because if you're doing a lot of things right with diet, if you're not allowing your, your body to recover at nighttime, then you're also going to be fighting a huge uphill battle. Interestingly, there, there's an illness where people actually lose the ability to Ooh. sleep. Their, their brain can't uh, uh, shut off. Oh, that would and be the terrible. Ca- the cause of oh, death. Yeah. Oh, my. Yeah, that, that's not. Uh, it's a yes. nightmare. Yes. Uh, no yes. No, it's so, a terrible thing. It, so the cause of death in these individuals, actually, their immune system just withers away, and it's the, the bacteria in their gut overtakes their body. They die from the infection. So just on a night of sleep where you're missing a couple hours, you see a little bit of the altered uh, microbiome as well. So, so um, Dr. So, Cash, actually, yeah. what, what you're starting to do is you, in your book, have an actual pyramid that we're going to attach to our show notes. And our listeners can follow along starting at the bottom of the pyramid. So you started the bottom of the pyramid by the elimination diet and sleep, which would be the bottom rung. So do you have any guidance for what should be eliminated? How would you know what to eliminate? Well, I look at it through an evolutionary lens. So for 100,000 generations, humans were eating mostly a combination of, of meat, fish, nuts, fruits, and, and vegetables. And then uh, about 10,000 years ago, humans shifted from uh, the quote-unquote hunter-gatherer diet into agriculture. And this is the same timestamp where in the archaeological record, you see humans shrunk in stature. They began getting high dental carriers or cavities, uh, increased infections, bone lesions. Uh, the list goes on. We went from eating a, a diet that was high in bioavailable nutrients into a diet that could feed more mouths so our population was able to increase, but we, we became sicker. And then again, uh, 170 years ago, we underwent the Industrial Revolution, where white flour and vegetable oils became 
mass produced and, and easily shipped. And those two time spans in history, 10,000 years ago and 170 years ago, is the same time uh, that uh, researchers were able to see our dental plaque changed and the microbiome in our, our mouths changed uh, for, the, for the worse. So I believe um, humans should stay away from, especially individuals with illness, should stay away from processed foods that increase inflammation. Although I will say that uh, there's no perfect food for perfect diet for everyone. Individuals are, are, are diet should be personalized. No different than hunt, different hunter gatherer tribes have different diets. Like the Catavans in Papua New Guinea consume mostly fruit, root, uh, vegetables, and coconuts. The Inuit in Alaska have a very different diet of mostly saturated fat from seal and whale blubber or the aboriginals in Australia who live mostly on land mammals and, and reptiles and insects and, and, and stuff like that. But the fundamental takeaway is that they're all consuming uh, a whole foods evolutionary consistent diet. So what would you say would be something to eliminate? Just like throw it out so we can start with something. Okay. You're saying white flour. I heard you mention that. Is that... White yeah. flour. So process, white flour. Processed food. Like you're saying yeah, my white... favorite thing, uh, deli turkey meat. Is that what you're saying? Deli turkey is out. Processed foods. What, well, I, I would say from if there's a low, the lowest hanging right. fruit, it's packaged right. goods that have been the more they've been very, then you need a factory to make them. Then then we, sh we probably shouldn't be consuming that. And then you can get more and more strict. So, so one individual with autoimmune disease and you hear these success stories, they get rid of gluten and all of a sudden they're in remission. That's, that's great. But I think a lot of people got to go even more deep in their elimination of getting rid of more foods and more provocative factors. And to maybe give you a, another example is um, some, some individuals will have to actually get rid of certain plant foods that are triggering plant foods high in lectins. Hmm. which is a plant defense toxic because plants don't necessarily want to be eaten. They want to pass on their DNA as well. So they have small amounts of, of natural pesticides to ward off uh, herbivores. And so some individuals need to get rid of select classes of vegetables, and then they, they begin to see remission as well. Okay, uh, so then... Oh, I'm sorry, Kathy. No, no, keep going, keep going. So the next ladder, the next step up, you have... Um, meal timing, and that intrigues me. What do you mean by that? So, for for one, you know, humans didn't have twenty four seven access to food like we have now. So we would go through a natural cycle of consuming. But uh, what researchers have found is we have something called the glymphatic system, which is like the lymph system, but in the brain, and when you consume food shortly before going to bed, your blood goes to your digestive system rather than your brain mm -hmm. uh, versus if you consume your last meal, something like three to four hours before bed, you have better cellular clean out of the brain. You get into deeper sleep. Another thing to, that, that's noted is that when you consume food before sleep, you're pancreas produces insulin and that inhibits melatonin production, uh, the, the, the hormone that sets the, the stage for, for sleep. 
You know, Dr. Cash, I have to say, um, without even knowing it, maybe just the aging process, uh, we, my husband and I have started eating earlier. And I have to say, I do feel better. We eat earlier. We used to, in our wilder days, would eat later. And you're right. We would go to bed on a full stomach. And who feels good under those circumstances? So I, I, I absolutely agree with you. Eating earlier I have no scientific proof, but uh, personal observation. So uh, the other, the next thing you talk about is fasting. And I have to say, I hate seeing that word, hate the idea, but uh, go ahead, convince me. <laughs> <laughs> so, well, you know, you, you participate somewhat in fasting now that you eat uh, earlier in, in the evening. It's really just the abstention from, from eating for a certain amount of time. So. With the intermittent fasting, it's minimum of 12 hours. So if you had your last meal at 8 p.m., not consuming food again till 8 a.m. the next oh, okay. day. And so this is giving. I, I could do yeah, that. So not yes. as hard. Yeah, maybe maybe you, some people even already right. do that. And from there, you can you could take it, um, uh, make it longer and longer until you get into the territory of prolonged fasting. But to just talk about the benefits of intermittent fasting real quick is it's been shown to decrease inflammation, uh, increase human growth horm produ uh, hormone production, um, and have a positive shift of the microbiome of bacteria that produce um, or, or by microbiome profile that resembles that of a healthy person. Then you can get into the prolonged fasting, which is really anything over 24 mm. hours, and there's a longevity researcher, Dr. Walter Longo, who's done research on this. Um, well, I'll say in animals, whereby these animals that had different autoimmune diseases, including type 1 diabetes, were able to go into remission. Either the mice actually had uh, uh, regeneration of the, the insulin-producing cells in the pancreas, which is kind of cool, where when you go into a prolonged fast, your body digests down itself. It goes through a, a process called cellular autophagy, which really means self-eating. But the kicker is your body digests down the hyperactive white blood cells first. These are the cells that are responsible for autoimmune disease at the same timestamp that you're getting a huge upregulation of stem cells, which is the young naive cells that can become anything. So you get kind of a detoxification where you get a cleanup of the hyperactive autoimmune cells and a restoration of, of young cell, young healthy Vibrant cells. Do you do this, Dr. Cash? So, do you uh, go on fasting, day-long fasting episodes? I do. I, I do. I, I every January I do a, a three to five day wow. fast, and uh, currently my routine is about a, a sixteen to twenty-hour inter intermittent fast every wow. night. Wow. Well, you're disciplined. You're very disciplined. So now on the next rung. This is an interesting area of attitudes, beliefs, uh, mediations. And what do you mean by that? So you, you need to have, well, I'll, we'll start with meditation because that goes hand in hand with chronic stress. So if you have chronic psychological stress where you're, you're, you're sympathetic, your fight or flight part of the nervous system is overactivated, you're never going to be able to halt that that source of stress so meditation is a great way to learn how to relax and create perspective and 
and wind down in the fast-paced lives that everybody lives today. Next, for uh, mindset and beliefs, is you have to know uh, what they find is individuals that believe and have a, have a life purpose and they believe in a higher power, recover quicker from certain illnesses. And then you have to have a, a, also the mindset that you're able to do it. You're able to make the lifestyle shifts necessary to help alleviate a lot of your symptoms. So I know with myself is several years ago when I was doing my meditations, I so I had a vision I would be giving talks and lectures and podcasts like this, talking about my story uh, of recovery. And so you prep the nervous system and it's kind of like the, um, the area of manifesting and manifestation, but it's, it's very powerful. You know, this also would go into the area of prayer and faith. Um, this would, this totally. is the same sort of thing. Um, I'll share with you that um, I pray at every night. And I, I find it, um, so whether you're meditating or prayer, um, I think it, it does have a very positive influence, however you want to define it for yourself. Um, it, it does bring peace and purpose. Um, I, I totally agree with you about that. Um, I know that it uh, brings me a lot of peace. Um, I, I wholeheartedly recommend that. Um, so the next rung of the uh, pyramid, of course, is exercise. Um, what more, we've discussed it a little bit. Do you have more to say about that? Yeah. I'd like to leave room for other, other categories. We okay, did touch very on that. good. So then we have, um, what is this? Modalities is the next rung up. Yeah. So modalities is almost like using different technologies to help with with our own biology. So one example is red light therapy. Hmm. Red light is a specific wavelength of the light that's in the sun, something like 500 to 700 nanometers. And when the red light interacts with your cell membrane, it stimulates the, the cells to increase ATP production, uh, which is energy. And it's been shown to decrease inflammation, increase collagen production. And it kind of has that effect on uh, um, different tissues of the body. So if it's on your thyroid, it could stimulate that. In the males and the testes, it's been shown to increase testosterone production. And so one modality that can be used is like a full body red light panel into some, some people like the, to go the, use other wavelengths of light that go a little bit longer wavelengths like infrared. And that also has the ability to be anti-inflammatory. And so that's one good example. Uh, I think I mentioned earlier that in MS patients that the further away from the equator that you go, you see an increased prevalence. And so for individuals with, autoimmune disease that don't have great access to sun just, in, in the region that they yeah. are, they actually will use some sort of uh, phototherapy where they'll use tanning beds, but not for tanning dosages, like a, a little bit less of a dose and they'll get the vitamin D and they'll get the stimulation of in the cells. And, and so that could, that could be an effective uh, 
modality as so well. So basic sunlight is what you're saying that, uh, of course, with uh, our dermatologists in mind with adequate sunblock, we don't want to get them mad. We all want to have sunblock <laughs> on and a hat, but the sunlight is, is good for autoimmune disease is what you're saying. Yeah. Aside from, from vitamin D, it feels yeah. good. You're releasing endorphins and I'm sure a bunch of other chemicals have yet to be discovered. Now, the last word now at the top, and this is labeled experimental. So experimental is stuff where there, there's some level of evidence, but, you know, I don't think it, it clears um, what would be, you know, an FDA approved treatment. And in, in biotech, uh, there's a lot, the, there's a lot of different illnesses where there's nothing out there and the patient's suffering that they have the right to try something experimental in order to uh, help them as a, like a last resort. And so no different than, than an autoimmune disease where you want to try something on your body. There's some evidence, but there's not enough financing behind that therapy to get a larger body of evidence. So this is stuff like stem cells, although there's a lot more evidence now than even when I started began, I began writing the book. And so stem cells has been shown, and you could go onto uh, the government website for trials and actually volunteer yourself for some of these experimental trials. So if, and that doesn't just go for stem cells, it goes for anything else that, that's out there. And this whole pyramid, is based is to be used with your healthcare professional. Uh, yes. This is just uh -huh. this is just stuff that you probably won't get from them. So this is to be used in conjunction, and you can get their their advice and, and feedback on. I think it, that's a very uh, that's a very good team. point that we want our listeners absolutely to go to their healthcare providers, take the medication that has been uh, prescribed to avoid. If you have arthritis, you want to avoid joint damage. If you have uh, lupus, if you have uh, Crohn's, you want to take the medication that you're being told to take, that this would be an additional step to what they've been told. So it's interesting that uh, autoimmune diseases do seem to run in families. Um, and so uh, do you have family members with autoimmune disease? And when you were diagnosed, were other members of your family uh, checked for autoimmune disease? It does run in the family. Uh, it does run in, in families and, and in ethnic groups. And even within yourself, if you have one autoimmune disease, then it increases your chance of getting a second and a, and a third. Uh, but with that being said, uh, environment plays a, a big role because as we see in twin studies, one twin could have uh, the autoimmune disease with the same exact DNA as another twin and the other twin doesn't mm -hmm. get it. And what they find when they, they study and isolate the genes for individuals with autoimmune disease, those same genes were actually protective in our ancestral world. They are the genes for a more robust and aggressive response to infection. So for example, there's a gene called the HL, HLA-B27 gene that predisposes an autoimmune disease called ankylosing spondylitis, which fuses the, the spinal joint, that same gene slows down the progression of HIV and hepatitis. Hmm. 
There's uh, another example, the STAT6 gene, which causes an increased risk of, of allergies and asthma in, in Great Britain, but lower parasite loads in China. And one last example is Enganians, genes that are actually pro-inflammatory, um, decrease lifespan in, in a Western environment, but in an ancestral environment, when they have wells and access to rivers, those same pro-inflammatory genes increase lifespan. So it's the it's a, our genes are programs, and depending on our environment, act in a different way. So what could we do? Well, it's it would be great if we could curate an environment for ourselves that resembles our ancestral ways, but without having to go back then and enjoy all of our technologies and everything that we have now, plus modern medicine. And I think that would be the most ideal scenario. I just have a, a few questions I'd love to get to. And I'm wondering, you and Beth have done a wonderful job of, of explaining the pyramid, but I'm wondering personally, with your experience and your diagnoses, have there been any of the rungs that you found um, just to be incredibly helpful and effective in managing your case? Major, the biggest levers uh, was a strict elimination diet. Unfortunately, I don't think that's something people could get around for foodies and everything like that. Um, really having a food journal for, for Crohn's, I felt like it was um, a direct correlation because your symptoms are your gut. So you could kind of track and correlate it pretty easy. But um, I don't know if I mentioned this and I don't think I got to it before, but uh, well, we talked a little bit about leaky gut, but the overgrowth of bad bacteria, dysbiosis is the term, is correlated with pretty much most autoimmune diseases. In fact, in one study with patients in fibromyalgia, 100% of them had this overgrowth of bad bacteria. Mm -hmm. So I think the first thing is trying to get the right ecosystem in your gut. No different than on a macro level, when you get rid of a keystone species, the whole ecosystem falls apart. So in on a micro level, making sure that you're able to heal the gut. And one of the best ways I did that for me was the, the intermittent fasting really, really, really helped. It was like night and day, um, getting rid of processed foods uh, as well. I'm pr probably stricter than, than most would be. And so without, and that's why it's the foundation of the pyramid is because I don't think you could really get, you can't pray your way out of it and that's it. Although it helps and it's good to have that mindset. Uh, so I wish I had a sexier answer. No. But that's, that you have to love yourself in, in order uh, enough to make those changes. And that, that, that's and, what I would say. Um, I want to ask, what is the role, uh, back to the microbiome, what is the role of the microbiome in autoimmune disease generally? And what does current research suggest? Mentioned uh, the, in the body. And they, every, so if you have an overgrowth of bad bacteria that's sending signals to whatever organ, it's going to negatively affect it. And so what they find, what's kind of interesting in the research is farmers and poorer communities that are exposed to raw nature and less clean environments 
have much lower rates of autoimmune disease than their wealthy counterparts in the same society. And so they believe you have a critical um, time period when you're young to be exposed to a diverse amount of bacteria. Um, so your immune system can kind of learn what's healthy and what's not, so it doesn't overreact. And um, another another point is uh, everyone, we're, we're very lucky to have antibiotics. It saves uh, countless lives, but it seems that it could also be abused in, in children that are exposed to seven or more courses of antibiotics have triple the risk of developing Crohn's disease than compared to people that have never taken it. So there's, let's say you, and another fun fact is those born to cesarean section, babies also have a much uh, increased chance of getting autoimmune disease because they're not exposed to the, the biome in their mother's vagina as they're coming out. So let's say you were born and this was your upbringing. What can you do now? Well, you could start consuming uh, uh, foods with a diverse amount of microbes like fermented sauerkraut, kimchi. Um, there's... This goes along in, in the experimental area that we're talking about before, a fecal matter transplant. There's some, some well, this is literally when you get a transplant of a healthy stool from a donor, uh, either uh, you take it in pill form or rectally, and that's been shown to, to help in certain circumstances. But there's also some research that it showed it didn't. You could take postbiotics, and there's some other strategies as wow. well. Colby, I'm wondering where can patients go for help with all of this and where do you turn? So where I learned a lot of all the research that I use on myself today is from functional medicine. Functional medicine is a discipline of medicine whereby you don't look at just the organ, but you look at all the organ systems as a comprehensive framework where each of them individually affects the whole system together. So rather than going to just a, a gastro for your stomach or just a, an endocrinologist for another issue or your, or your gynecologist for, for one issue, you go to a functional medicine doctor and they try and treat the root cause, the smoking gun commonality be, behind all your issues rather than treating them individually. And so I would recommend that patients seek out a functional medicine practitioner, but do your vetting. Not all practitioners are created equal and that they could find some success. In. Wonderful. Wonderful. So what areas of autoimmune research do you recommend our listeners keep their eye on? And what do you think will be the next big breakthrough? So right now, we're, my, my finance group is financing a new compound that is entering uh, human trials at the end of this year. It's based on a hormone that's found in the human body, and it's a branch of the hormone. It's the EPO hormone, and it's been found to regress multiple sclerosis in mice. So as a neuroprotective uh, attributes that I'm hoping will one day be uh, safe and effective to, to use for not just MS patients, but all neurodegenerative diseases. So that's on sort of the, the pharmaceutical route. And I love it because it's found in the human body. And then I would also expect to see a lot more research 
in the microbiome area whereby we could take designer probiotics one day for specific microbiome types, but we're not there yet. But I think that will be a very hot area. And what advice would you like to share with listeners with all of your experience uh, in, in dealing with your own personal autoimmune diseases? Um, what advice do you think would help in, in managing? There's a, a book I really like called Man's Search for Meaning by Dr. Viktor Frankl, who was a psychiatrist that found himself in Auschwitz. And he looked at the whole experience through his clinical lens and, and ultimately he survived and when he came out, his new life's work became, uh, uh, what is the purpose of, of life? And one of the quotes from his book is, if there's purpose to life at all, there must be purpose in suffering because that's really where we grow to new spiritual heights and learn the most about ourselves. So for any listeners that are suffering with a rare disease, or maybe it's not even rare, but it's, it's an obstacle to overcome, it should be your life purpose to figure out how, how to live with it, how to hope maybe even go into remission from it. And it there there's a reason behind all of it. Dr. Cash, thank you for being here today on It Happened to Me. Your passion for health, wellness, and longevity is so apparent, and we appreciate your dedication to improving health through modern technologies and evolutionary biology. Thank you. Thank you very much, Kathy and Beth. It was a pleasure. Thank you for listening to this episode of It Happened to Me. We encourage you to learn more at ithappentomepod.com. That's ithappentomepod.com. Please use the contact forum on our website to submit your guest suggestions, comments, questions, ideas, and feedback for the show. You can also email us directly at ithappentomepod at gmail.com. Again, that's ithappentomepod at gmail.com. We would also really appreciate it if you can leave us a five-star rating review on your podcast app, probably Apple or Spotify. This helps others in the rare disease and medical challenges community find us. It Happened to Me is created and hosted by Kathy Gillenhorn and Beth Glassman. Steve Holsenbach is our media engineer and co-producer. Myself, Kier Deneen from DNA Today, is our marketing lead and co-producer. Ashlyn Anokian is our graphic designer. And remember, it happened to me. I'm not alone and neither are you.